Hey everyone, this is Isaac Maddox, and I'm the pastor of Activate Church, and this is our podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, builds your faith, and I hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Let's go to the Bible, and uh, this is our second Sunday here, Summer of Love. And um, if you are going to San Diego, let us know. We've got limited seating, but we'd love for you to come. And if we need to rent more vehicles, we will. But we're basically going down to San Diego on a missions trip to preach Jesus, love on people, and do some worship, and do some things down there. And then um, believing that uh, some doors will open up, and we're just seeing if God has something for us down there in the form of a service, eventually a church. But um, anyways, that's San Diego, and it is going to be good. Matthew twenty two thirty five, 35. Matthew twenty two thirty five. This is the great commandment. Here it is. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this, this particular person was not uh, exactly being genuine. They weren't wanting to know the answer. It wasn't like they were like, really, man? Jesus, like, what is this all about? What's the great commandment? It was more of a test to try to trap Jesus. But, you know, it's interesting. I think this is still one of the great um, questions in life, really, is what's the great commandment? What's the secret to life? What? I'm not where I want to be, and I want to get somewhere, and I think that we are always constantly asking ourselves, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What would be the greatest thing for me to do right now? What would be the most important thing for me to do right now in life? What's it all about? Have you ever met with someone about finances or ever met with someone about prayer or something? It's, man, what's the secret? What's the secret? Working out. What's... What's the secret? What's the secret? Jesus replied, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Which is interesting, because I don't think it's like it at all. Um, I love loving on God. Worship is great. But loving my neighbor, loving people, sometimes can be difficult. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he makes this huge statement. Now, we've heard this verse so many times. Sometimes we just read it and our minds just, just tune off because we've, we've heard it so much. The redundancy of Scripture sometimes with certain verses can just sort of not catch it. But Jesus makes this big statement. All of the law, all of it. Not, not 59%, not 60%, all of it. I, I would be more comfortable with Jesus just saying a major portion of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. But here's Jesus making this really radical statement, a very extreme statement, that everything, all the law, every, the Ten Commandments, hundreds of laws, hundreds of commandments. I mean, we're talking about good, good commandments here. Good repercussions to sin and good prayer commandments and temple and church commandments. And Jesus just says that all of them are fulfilled all of them hang on love doesn't that just sound a little subjective doesn't that just sound a little bit like jesus are you sure you want to say all of them 
like maybe hold back a few so that once we get the love thing going, we can maybe still take care of, of this. People might need some of those other ones. And Jesus is saying everything hangs on love. Everything hangs on it. Okay. Okay. So you saying that, that everything finds its purpose in loving God or loving people? Everything, all of the commandments, all of the principles, all of the law are fulfilled, fully filled. They are fulfilled. They are taken care of. They have purpose in love. We might be thinking, well, I don't know if he's going that far. So let's go over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. We're just taking a cruise through the scriptures here. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14. It says this. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Again, that's a big statement. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I heard it. Please move on. No, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying everything is fulfilled. Paul is saying everything is fulfilled fulfilled in love. What's going on here? Because when I read this, I think, okay, we talked about this last week. I can do this. I can do this. I can love God. Is this the point of Scripture? Is ultimately, the New Testament is about the great commandment. Love God and love people. The problem is, when we read in Ephesians, let's just read it. Jump over one page, at least one page in my Bible. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace. Well, hold on. I thought the whole point was that, that we serve Jesus and all we have is like one commandment to do. Just love God, love people, man. That's it. Fulfills everything. Woo! Go New Testament. Amen. It's exciting to be born in, 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 in this time, in this era of grace. And all we have is two things to do. The problem is... It's by grace you've been saved. It's by grace you're saved. It's by grace you're renewed. It's by grace you can do anything. And grace is a gift from God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So if we were able to fulfill the great commandment, wouldn't there be boasting? Like if I'm like, man, I have figured out how to love people and love God. You should check out my life. It's a great testimony of what you can do, too, in your own life and how to fulfill the great commandment. Isn't that awesome? The problem is that the great commandment is in conflict with the gospel. Is the gospel love God? No. The great commandment is love God. The gospel is God loves you. So what we do is we figure out, because I'm an incredible hermeneutical Bible teacher. Just kidding. I love it because the Bible says that, that, that every, all these smart people realize that the disciples weren't smart, but they had been with Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the experts of the law, the smartest people of the day, were actually, they missed Jesus? They're the ones that are like, all right, let me ask you, son of God. I mean, I just want to see that moment where they, you know, see Jesus again and have, hey, sorry about that whole thing. We were trying to be right, and we thought we were smart. We thought we had everything figured out. Here's the gospel saying the gospel is not love God. The gospel is God loves you. The gospel is Jesus doing everything he can to express his love to mankind from Genesis to Revelation. And the response is the great commandment. The only response is 
God, that love that you just gave me, that I just received, that I didn't earn, that I didn't work for, I'm going to give back to you. It's by grace. It's by, even fulfilling the great commandment is by grace. Is by grace. Is by grace. Let's talk about that this morning. The gospel is not a commandment. The gospel is not a commandment. Part two. Part two. We got creative. Part two from last week. Here we go. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for today. We thank you for church. We thank you that we get to come together in this very cold room of sinners, Lord, saved by grace. And we just want to see you today. We just want to see more of you. We want to receive from you. We want to learn to be dependent upon you. God, teach us to receive that we might fulfill the one thing you have called us to do, and that's love you back with the love you've given us and love people with the love you've given us. Open our eyes today that we might see this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have a, um, always a very long to-do list in life. I don't know why, but life just seems to be one big to-do list for me. Lately, ever since I had to grow up, um, it just seems like the more you manage life, just life has a way of managing you, and it just feels like, now this weekend, I got one big thing off my to-do list, which is cleaning out the garage, which is, yeah, it's very, very exciting, because it was a very depressed, depressing, depressing moment. You know when you first go out to your garage, and you just stare at the big pile? You're like, man, why do I want to shoot myself right now? This is like a really dark moment. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, that's a metaphor. Um, but you don't know where to start. You're just looking at this thing going, next weekend. I mean, next week, it never looks so good when you're just staring at that pile in the garage. And my kids are coming out and playing with it, and that's them helping. I'm trying to teach them how to help, but they really can't yet. It's just like, Jude, just pick up that, you know, move that over there. And Well, no, Jude, that's the wrong thing you just moved. And, you know, I literally found a laptop. I didn't even tell you this, but I found a laptop in, the, in our garbage pile. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, thanks, Jude. Thanks for helping out. But Trent found an old firework, like one of those mortars, and I'm telling you, this is another big victory for me this weekend. Um, we didn't light it off, which I don't think I've ever not lit off a firework. I'm a pyromaniac, but it's so dry out there. I'm just trying to be a you know, responsible citizen. And, and I probably you know, would have gotten... My, my, my neighbors like to call the cops. So anyways, um, so we're cleaning out the garage, and we're getting things done. And it's just, it's just funny because... It's like, it's like when you don't get your to-do list done for the day, it's like rollover minutes. Like that to-do list just rolls over the next day. And like I haven't got to-do lists for the days and I got to-do lists for the week and the month. And they just kind of pile on things to do. Life just seems to be, you know, I got to make that phone call. I got to, I got to, even church, you know, I got to get to church more. I got to pray more. I got to give more. I got to invite more people. Not, not a lot of people talk about arriving, you know. Not a lot of people are like, man, cancel the gym membership and, you know, I don't need to go to church as much anymore because I think I have attained something. There's a constant state of on the move and something to do. And so when we talk about this concept of like, you can't even do the great commandment. Isn't that awesome? It's like, yeah, okay. So it's just receive. Okay. So then my mind... Sometimes goes into, okay, so the key is to like, I can't do anything, and the key is not doing. And I think, oh, that, that's the key. Okay, yeah. The key is in not doing. And I look at my own life, and I'm like, yes, I can pray in the morning if I don't stay up at night. So doing and not doing. Yeah, not doing late night 
Netflix, you know, shows. It's like helps me get up in the morning. Not being negative helps me be positive. The key to doing is not doing. So I got to not do to do. And then I really, though, this is semantical because not doing is doing. Not watching the TV show at night. Babe, we need to go to bed and be responsible so we can have better prayer lives in the morning. That's just doing something. Really. I mean, not being negative. Don't complain. Embrace the heat. I'm going to be positive. I just really like another do. So not do, do. It's all do. I mean, really? So I think when we hear this, people, got good news? Oh, you can't even fill the great commandment. Just give up. It's like, really? I don't have to do anything? Awesome. It's like, hold on. Come on. That's some slick preaching there. Is this all just a semantical? Is this all just the same Christianity? Come on. We all know we need to be holy, sin less, go to church, pray, invite people to church, be Jesus, love people, mow lawns, do block parties, go to San Diego. Ah! But yeah, it's not doing. It's receiving the goodness of God and then letting it pour through you. It can feel like Isaac, some other preacher, some book, is trying to coerce and sell you into really the same old thing. Is this really different or is this just semantics? Is, is me saying the gospel isn't love God, it's God loves you? Does it really have power? Or is it just semantical? Are, do we really believe... That there is literally, you do not have the ability to fulfill the great commandment. When you think about that, does that hit you as, have I believed that my whole life? Has it been my aim in life to fulfill that great commandment, loving God and loving people? Or in YWAM, we used to say, know God and know people and reach people and whatever it was, all these little ways of fulfilling the great commandment. Are we saying really that, that we can't? And we only can in response to having first received. But really that word receive is just a do word, right? We're saying receive. Hey, just receive Jesus. Just receive his love. Okay? <laughs> but don't I have to like raise my hands and like dance and whew, focus my mind. No cheeseburger thoughts. No cheeseburger thoughts. Jesus. Jesus. No slurpee, slurpee. No, no, no. Jesus. That's like I feel like I'm doing. What do you mean? Just receive. If it was just easy, like receive, then I would. But really, it's all just do, don't do, receive, give, call it whatever you want, but it's the same thing. Is it? Looking at Moses, looking at this story, I think there's a picture here with, with he's given up on life. Moses was called, I believe, lead his his, his, his generation, his people out of Egypt. I believe that, that even, even Moses had an idea that that's what he was called to do. From a young age, there was a special call upon his life. There was training. He was literally trained, I believe, to fulfill this call. So imagine his entire life. You are blessed. You've grown up with wealth to bring your people out. He kills an Egyptian and I believe fundamentally believes within himself that it's over. He's given up the call. He failed. He could not do one thing that he was called to do. And God gave him everything, set him up, the whole little basket. All the babies are being killed. Can you imagine if your entire generation was killed off but you? Can you imagine the survivor complex that you would have? All of his little buddies, all of their moms are mourning. But, 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 but Moses' 
family, really his adopted family, because he survived. Could you imagine all of that coming together? You are the kid that survived the river in this little basket to hopefully deliver your people, and you give it up because you couldn't figure out how to not be angry and express yourself, and you end up killing somebody and ultimately ruining everything. He finds himself on the backside of a mountain, and he's a shepherd. I believe he's insecure. He's stuttering. He doesn't know who he is. He, there's, there's, he's just going day to day. He has given up on trying how, how to figure it out. There's no hope. There's no faith. It's nothing. Moses is broken. Moses is broken. And he's tending his father-in-law's sheep. Now, I think this is key because, because the dynamic between a son and a father-in-law is ultimately that son can only do, you know, second best to what the father can do for that young girl. I mean, you're always in the shadow, right? I mean, really, the dad can love her better, provide for her more. You know, a son-in-law is just like, sorry, second best, second best love, second best provision. It's like ultimately a very insecure situation, son-in-law's. We love our dads-in-laws, but, you know, still, you're like, you got this precious cargo here, you know, and you can always only fail, really. The dad is the dad. And so Moses, this broken person, is watching the sheep of his father-in-law, and this is a big task. He can't just lose sheep. Now, he's tending this flock, and all of a sudden, this, this fire consumes this bush now, time out really quick. I know we've all grown up, a lot of us have grown up in Sunday school. Moses didn't grow up in Sunday school, okay? So Moses hadn't heard this story. Moses doesn't know it's God, okay? I know we just like tune it out like, oh, it's God. Woo, Moses, look, oh, look at the bush. It's going to talk to you and you're going to deliver everybody through the river, okay? It's like going to be easy here or a sea, whatever. This is Moses' life. Moses is not thinking, I'm going to be awesome. God is awesome. He's going to use me to deliver the people. No, he's a shepherd, broken with no hope. That's where Moses is at. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep, notices the bushes on fire. Now remember, most likely this is not God. So when Moses says, I'm going to turn aside from the sheep, I'm going to check this out, Understand that Moses is taking his focus and his attention off of the sheep to go look at a bush that is burning and looks really pretty. Imagine, most likely, the scenario plays out that this is not God. So he goes back home with a few less sheep, and he's got to talk to his father-in-law. His father's like, what happened, Moses? You lost a couple sheep. And Moses is like, yeah, well, I just wanted to check it out. The bush, it was so pretty, and it was burning, but it, it was like this fire, but the bush, like, it wasn't consuming. I don't feel like we're tracking right now, but... The bush, it like was burning, but not burning. And so, I don't know, man. I just thought maybe, you know, I don't know. I was like, God, you thought a, a bush burning was God? I don't know. I had this, this sense or something. And so, yeah, a couple of sheep scattered off. And sorry, dad, I'm a loser. You know, I mean, you just imagine that that's probably the scenario that plays out. Except we know the end from the beginning. So we read it as, oh, no, duh. of course, Moses ch- checked out the burning bush. No, that's not normal. What's happening is not normal. Moses doesn't know it's God. All Moses knows is that my job is to tend the sheep. To me, this is the gospel. Moses didn't get God to do anything. God got into that moment in the form of a burning bush. And the key here is Moses literally takes his attention off of the sheep and puts it on a this, 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 what could be God. 
That's what Moses does. Moses pursues and presents himself, pursues and tries to, what is going on here? Could this possibly be? What is this? He pursues this mystery that is often the voice of God, that is often the presence of God, that is often the leading of God, that is often anything that God does. I don't know, but why we somehow teach this story as like that God just came and enveloped Moses and just started speaking to him and Moses just just responded because what really went down is Moses stopped doing what he was doing. Moses didn't make this moment happen, but what Moses did do was he stopped tending the sheep to check out and observe the presence of God. Then once that happened, it says that God, once he saw Moses turn, how spiritual is that? Simply a turn. He turns, sees that Moses has turned, then God speaks. I'm not fully into preaching formulas, but I would say that there is parallel evidence throughout scripture that says when you hang out in the presence of God just enough that there now comes a voice and then there comes direction and then there comes more there is a process there is a journey there are steps of faith but I think we often miss out on the burning bush experience because we can't stop tending the sheep because I think for most of us in this moment we would have not tended the sheep or we would have tended the sheep we would have not not tended the sheep I can't stop tending the sheep it's my father-in-law's sheep I can't lose the sheep Something's going on, but I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. This is the story of God coming after and breaking through into Moses' life. People, this is the theological collision of where we find ourselves today. Even our songs. Even our songs. He's chasing after me. Time out. How many of you feel chased after by God? Maybe Sometimes. But I mean, all the time, what, what's, what's this thing about chasing after, Gus chasing after me? Well, then the other song is I'm running after you. Okay. So is this what's, is this what's taking place? I'm running after God and God's chasing me. Are we going in the wrong direction? Like, are we, like, are we playing tag? We're playing like heads up, seven up, and I keep missing them. What's going on? I feel like we've taken credit. For our praying and our churching and our worshiping and we've gotten God. When really all we've done is stop tending the sheep for a few moments to let that chasing love come into our hearts. We thought we've gotten God. No, God's gotten us. And this is not semantical. This is real. That the Bible is the story of not people... Loving God so much that they change themselves and change the world. This is a book about a God who loves people so much. He did anything he can do to break through into their human existence and speak and pour in and fill and touch and deliver. This is the story of a God who loves so much. Not people who love God so much. But the story of a God who loves people so much that they finally broke down and responded. That's why in a moment, when you are running after him, it is like a collision. Because he's right there. I'm going to run after. Oh, there I'm coming. Oh, my gosh. That's, he's right there. You're thinking, please, please stop doing that. Yes, I will. I'll stop running into the mic. I used to feel like if I got more hungry, if I got more thirsty, I could get God and find God and fast. 
and pray and go to church and revival meetings every night. You know what happened? As I stopped tending sheep for a moment, that's it. The hardest part for us is to realize that God is in the burning bush. He's the one that shows up, people. He's the one initiating. He's the one, he's the one trying to, I believe, break through our thinking and break through. But we can't stop tending sheep long enough to present ourselves in the presence of God. Hopefully, maybe, perchance, hearing the voice of God. Hopefully, maybe, being healed or, or taught or filled or loved. But, but, but we can't stop tending our fears and tending our lives and trying to figure things out and just going from moment to moment trying to connect the dots and, and those fears and those worries and those things that we tend have become our lives. And this is life to me now, is that God is in your life, but it's in the form of a burning bush. And if you would stop for a second, stop tending, stop tending life and turn. That turn right there is critical. Because that turn isn't necessarily like that awesome. Moses didn't come away from the story writing about how awesome his turn was. Like, man, you should have seen it, man. I got my eyes off the sheep and I was just like, I stared at that burning bush and I just received God. It was awesome. No, all the glory goes to God, but yet he did have to turn. Get my mind off my financial issues, off of my days, off of my worries, off of my gettings, off of my, my tending, off of my doing. And the key is to not do. It's risky. What's going to happen to the sheep? You are probably more in love with your fear and worry than you could ever have imagined. It becomes a little pet. And we get so good at taking care of it. It's my, my future, I'm really concerned about it. And it even sounds spiritual. Really taking care of all my sheep and my things and my worries and my life. Doing a good job here. And so when you let it go for a second, even in the next 20 minutes, the next fear or the next worry or the next sheep, the next thing that you try to tend mentally, just try not to. I'm just going to stare at the burning bush. I don't know if it's God. I don't know if it's the presence of God. I don't know if it's the voice of God. I don't know if it's the direction that I need. I don't know if it's the clarity. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But Moses had enough faith to pursue and present even when it wasn't clear. There's nothing I can do. Isn't it interesting that so many of these men and women were at a broken state in their life? It's over. It's over. It's over. And it's at that moment that they finally let God in. This, this thing we call the gospel isn't, come on people, let's love God. It's, it's God loves you. Well, if that's the whole point, why don't we just say that to each other like every day, a million times. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, loves you, loves you, he loves you. Yeah, I got it. He loves you, I got it, he loves you, I got it. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. The point is, Because we don't believe that he's in the burning bush. We actually don't believe it. We don't believe that he's right there. He wants to speak to you more than you want him to speak to you. He wants to love you more than, 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 than you want to be loved. He, he wants to heal and touch more than you could ever imagine, even on your own ability and your own strength. No, my, no I have seen, no research. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. This is, this is the gospel.
Think about Paul. Is Paul's life the story of a man who loved God so much that he got a hold of God? No. Paul's life is the story of a God who loved Paul so much. Paul was killing Christians and God finally broke through his religiosity and his works and his attaining and his doing and finally knocked him off his donkey and blinded him and Paul submitted. (laughs) God finally got a hold of him. Why do we read these stories like these were people who figured out how to love God? They're a bunch of knuckleheads. The Bible doesn't even talk about, I think, more normal people because we can't relate to them. God just took them like Enoch. Enoch walked with God. (laughs) Then he was taken. There's nothing written about Enoch because we couldn't relate to him. It's like... But all these people are like us trying to get to God and trying to do it. I can fulfill the great commandment, God. (laughs) You can't. Let me do it. Let me give. Let me speak. Let me heal. Let me touch you. Peter is in the story of a, of a guy who figured out how to love God, so he changed the world and birthed the church. No, it's the story of Jesus showing up, initiating, entering into Peter's life and saying, follow me. That's the gospel. Peter going, okay. 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive that. I'm going to respond. Moses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond to what could possibly be God here, and I'm going to receive. It really isn't doing, is it? It's actually not doing. Not doing to do, but really not doing. I'm going to respond. I'm going to receive. David. David's life is the story of a God who found David in the middle of a pasture, in the middle of nowhere, where everybody was trying to keep him out of the ceremony God got Samuel and busted into that situation and found David and anointed him. Do we really believe this? Do we really feel this? That, that this is the gospel? This is the story of God loving mankind so much that he would do anything to redeem us, do anything to find us, would do anything to love us? Or have we preached the gospel centered around the great commandment? And we wonder why it doesn't have power. We wonder why we even fail in doing it. We, we can't believe that we can't just fulfill this simple command, loving God and loving people, yet we weren't meant to. It was meant to be a response to receiving and being dependent upon the gospel and the gift and the grace. Look at the life of Peter. Jesus is going to the cross And Peter, the one, I believe, who was more inundated with trying to fulfill the great commandment. God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I'll never leave you, Jesus. Ever. I'll die with you. Jesus goes to the cross. And he's he's arrested. And and this little girl says, aren't aren't you the one with, with Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter's like, whoa, I can't even believe you'd say that. No emphatically, no, never, to a little girl. Peter denies Jesus, denies him. Not in his heart, not in his mind, but actually denied him. (laughs) Jesus is killed, buried. He raises from from the dead. Now, Peter, when we see Peter here at the end of John, Peter has given up. 
much like Moses. It's over. I have failed. Why is it that all these guys have failed? Is it not a picture to us? As much as you try to do this, you will fail. In your own works, in your own striving, as much as you think that you've gotten God and you got the burning bush and you got him to come into your life and say, follow me, and you got him to knock you off the donkey and you got him to speak to you and you got him to promise you that it was God who did it and we simply woke up and realized and responded and received and can take no credit but give him back what he gave us. And so here's Peter and he's given up. Isn't this amazing that he's about to start the church in a few weeks? The same man who denied Jesus publicly is about to stand up and see 3,000 saved and birth the church in the book of Acts. Jesus finds Peter. He's fishing. and He's given up. They're fishing all night long and they, they catch nothing. Which is us. Can do, can do, can do. And he's a fisherman. He should be able to figure this out. Nothing. Jesus shows up and says that they don't know if it's him. They don't want to ask if it's him because they kind of think it's him, but they don't know. It's like, it's burning bush. God, I wish you would speak a little clearer, a little louder. If this is our theology, well, if, 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 if the burning bush is what we're saying is what's happening in our life, then God's right there. And we have as much God as we want. That's not a manipulative, works-oriented statement. I'm just saying that's, that's the God of the universe is hanging out in your life, trying to break through your thinking and your flesh and your mindsets more than you could ever imagine. So there's Peter denying Jesus. Jesus shows up and says, hey, throw it on the other side. That's like just this, just other side. Peter responds, turns, the turn, the pivot. (laughs) Does he really do anything? Or is it a response? And it says they caught more fish than they could even handle. I just have a major problem with this. Because Jesus doesn't show up and give him a smack upside the head. Don't you think that's what he deserves? Peter, you denied me. What's up? I really had some big plans for you. You're about to start the church. This is not the way to start things. By denying the founder of what will be called Christianity publicly. It's a really bad idea, Peter. Wouldn't, I think Jesus should have given him a piece of his mind. Don't you think he should have corrected him? Don't you think he should have given him some truth and love? Don't you think he could have said some things that would have helped Peter better than Jesus showing up and blessing him? He gives him more fish than he ever caught in his life. Jesus, this is a bad move. Because if you just love people and you give them their goodness and you give them your presence and you give them your voice and you give them your presence and you give them your life and your love and your peace so freely people will abuse it and misuse it and deny you even more or is it true that this gospel is a gift and this love is given and his goodness causes us and leads us to repentance isn't it funny as the church sometimes we think that repentance leads to repentance 
It's like if we say the word repent, like that's going to really help. Repent, world! That's right. Okay, fine. We've got some repentance around here. People are so worried about grace and love taking over the church. Excuse me? It's the gospel. It's our only hope. So Jesus shows up and says, I'm going to bless you, Peter. <laughs> here you go. And then Jesus says, bring some of your fish here. Let's eat. Is this not the gospel? The only thing that Peter could bring to Jesus is what Jesus gave him. The only hope that we have in fulfilling the great commandment is by preaching the gospel. The only hope that people have in loving God and loving people is by preaching and giving and pouring out a love that's so high and so deep and so wide that the only chance of fulfilling the great commandment is being washed in this love and receiving this love and being dependent upon this love. Jesus restores Peter. Peter doesn't restore himself to Jesus. This chasing God, this relentless love, this pursuing is true. It might not always feel like it. It might not always seem like it. But I don't have to get God. I simply have to respond and receive to his relentless pursuit of my life. I need to get good at not doing Truly, though, not doing. We need to get good at not doing. Because by doing, we often miss the burning bush experience in our life and the, and the Jesus that is actually trying to break through and speak and touch and heal, pour into, give us something that he wants to give us. And I think that we're also pursuing our own agendas sometimes in prayer. I think Moses could have been like, well, you know, gets to heaven and God's like, hey, I showed up in a burning bush. Moses is like, well, I don't, I don't really do burning bushes. Um, you should have done this, God. I think we've got God figured out and we know how we want God to speak to us and we, want, we know how we, we need God to, to, to move upon us and we know how we think things should go down. We become experts on how God moves and well, that, that person's life and, and that person's life. You often find not even one thing that Jesus does the same. He's healing people by spitting into dirt. Why, Jesus? Like, I really want to ask Jesus what's up with that. Like, he's hawking loogies into dirt to create mud to put on blind eyes. But that's what he wants to do in your life. It looks crazy. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. But he is doing everything he can to pursue you and get into your life and fill you. And that's why today, let's stop doing for a second. Let's stop tending for a second. Let's stop focusing on what, what, what I think I have figured out about God for a moment and, and just have enough faith to realize, is this a moment in time where there is a burning bush? There is the living God in my life and, and I just want to simply respond and receive something that he has and change my life forever. The God that's pursuing me. The God that is pursuing me. The God that is chasing after me. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. Let's stand today and just for a second practice receiving, receiving.
We need to get good at not doing, but truly not doing. He's already here. When we discover that he is here, it causes a response of here I am. When your faith starts to tell you that God is with you, that he loves you, that he is, he is doing anything and everything within his power to speak and put his hand upon you and break through into your life. Once you have a, a concept and enough faith to say, whoa, God loves me more than I love him. Whoa, God's got a future for me more than I could ever imagine. He's forgiven me more than I can understand. His hands upon me more than I can even think or feel. He actually wants to speak to me more than I can, want to speak to him. When your face starts to tell you that he's here, he's here, he's here, he's here, he's speaking, he's pouring, he's healing. The God of the universe is here. Your natural response is here I am. Woo! I believe here I am. Here I am. You're here. I, I, here I am. When you start to realize how present your God is and how much he's involved in your life, there will be a natural response of here I am. Here I am. God, speak. Here I am. Touch. Here I am.